Hi there, I'm Nicole Gilbert, and you've joined the Stop Scrolling and Start Sewing podcast. Are you new to sewing and want to start quilting, but have no idea where to begin? Each Wednesday, join me as I share the ins and outs of that quilt life. If you don't have a sewing machine, have no idea how much fabric you need, or you're just trying to figure out where the heck to stick that bobbin, this is the podcast for you. Hey there, welcome to episode 23 of the Stop Scrolling, Start Sewing podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Gilbert, and I am super excited about this week's episode. So I have been hinting at this for a while, but it is time for another edition of the Modern Quilters Academy, and I am so excited for new students to come in. So in today's episode, I'm sharing with you guys my Fast Track to Quilting Modern Quilters Framework right here on the podcast. So you are going to hear the five-stage method that I use with my students to get amazing results and see exactly what these awesome women get up to once they join the academy. So you will get to buckle up and listen on in. Now, today's episode is probably a lot longer than typical, but you get to hear the entire masterclass. So it's really, really cool. So bring me in the car on your commute, hop on the treadmill, whatever you do while you listen to me, because this one is gonna be good. Hey there. Thank you so much and welcome to the Fast Track to Quilting Masterclass. I am so beyond excited that you made it. My name is Nicole Gilbert, and I cannot wait to spend the next bit of time with you guys. So before we get started, I know I said we would start at eight sharp, but I'm going to give it just a minute to let a few more people straggle in because, you know, it is eight sharp. And while we wait, I would love for you to hop into the comments um, in the chat section um, and tell me your first name and where you're watching from. So to do a little housekeeping while I'm waiting for some of those highs to roll in through the chat, um, I want to go over kind of how and where you'll find some stuff um, in Zoom, just because we're not all, I mean, I think thanks to 2020, we're all a little bit more familiar with Zoom, but I want to make sure that you guys are super comfortable and you're able to kind of see what everything is going on in here. So along the bottom you have that toolbar that has you know um where you can see the chat and all of that kind of stuff one of those options says q and a throughout this class if you have a question please go ahead and put them in that q a click that q a and the little box will pop up where you can write your question hey tina um i want to make sure that i don't lose the questions in the comments um, if they start getting going, um, because uh, I do want to answer them all. Hi, Chelsea. Thanks for coming. Um, is Michigan warm yet? Cold yet, rather? Because it's starting to cool off a little bit here in New York. It's interesting. Um, and I don't want to lose your comments in any of the chat shuffle. So please put your questions in there. I will be grabbing them as we go. Hopefully I touch on your question throughout the process. 
but at the end, I will also do a separate Q&A section to answer what questions I don't touch on throughout the masterclass. Uh, so make sure you stick around to the end so that we can do that together. Okay, so let's get going. So before we dive in, I wanna tell you guys just a little bit about myself. Uh, my name is Nicole Gilbert, and as you may have guessed, I am an avid quilter. I taught myself how to quilt about 10 years ago when my husband started his career in the army. Um, I ended up moving to a town where I knew nobody, I had no friends, no family, um, and I was very young and lonely because my husband left a lot. So I spent a lot of nights by myself and I just kind of fell in love with the hum of my sewing machine. Um, I know it's kind of dorky, but it's true. So I taught myself how to quilt and it wasn't easy by any means. There were a lot of trials and error and some really ugly quilts with gaping holes in them. Um, I tried doing classes at fabric shops and at big box stores and I Googled, oh my gosh, I Googled and YouTubed everything. Um, and I spent so many nights at my sewing machine frustrated because I just couldn't figure out how to make what I was seeing on those YouTube videos happen at the machine in front of me. Um, you know, I felt like I was doing all the things, but I was just missing one crucial step that made my thing look way different than the quilt that I was seeing in the videos. Um, but over time, and if I'm being 100% honest, more time than I would really like to admit, uh, things did start to click and fall together and fall into place. Um, and over time, friends began to start asking me to teach them how to quilt or help them with a very specific project. Um, and I fell in love with helping others fall in love with quilting, which is why I guess I'm here with you guys. And that makes me so happy. And I do want to say thank you so much. Not only do I appreciate you taking the time to spend a little bit of your evening with me, um, but I also want to say thank you because I know it is a very busy time of year. Uh, if you have children, children are going back to school, whether that's virtual or in person, and both bring so many challenges. So I want to say, like, I want to give you guys a clap because you guys are here and you're taking time for yourself. And I think that is so beyond important. And it's part of the reason why I love quilting so much. In those last 10 years, I've had three children. They're all boys. They're in sports. I'm running around here and there. And quilting is what keeps me sane and it keeps me grounded and uh, I'm just so beyond grateful and whatever self-care looks like to you, um, please do more of it. So I am super grateful that you are here for so many reasons. So all of that to say, over the time that I realized and I've learned to quilt, I realized that there was an easy way to translate my quilting knowledge that I had absorbed over the years and, um, and pass it on to others. And the way I did it is I broke it down into like five simple digestible stages um, that I call the Modern Quilters Framework. And I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I think it's really good. And so have all of the students that I've had so far. So I wanna share a little bit of that with you guys today. So there are five stages to the Modern Quilters Framework. 
And those stages are stage one is your setup. It's where we have all of the supplies we need and how we have them set up to start quilting. Stage two, we just call overarching, it's your fabric. It's the foundation you build your quilt on and the way that you choose, treat and cut your fabric will determine how the rest of your quilt goes. And then we have stage three, which is piecing. Once you have cut your fabric, it's how we're putting all those fabric pieces together. And then stage four is basting and quilting. Um, and then stage five is squaring and binding. And at the end of stage five, you have a completed, beautiful, giftable quilt. And I tonight am going to walk you through what those stages look like. So, and I know I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but if at any point you have questions, about the stage that I just went over, drop it in that Q&A box. Uh, we're going to grab the questions on our end and I'll answer them as we get through the class. And if I don't get to it while I'm teaching, I will hit on it during the Q&A portion at the end. So please, if you have questions, please don't hesitate to ask. All right, so before we get too deep, we are going to do a little housekeeping and I wanna talk about who this class is for. This class is for you if you've never tried to quilt before, but you really, really want to, and you just don't know where to start. Or you've tried to quilt, but ended up with less than stellar results, or you hit way too many roadblocks along the way to feel like you were really successful. Uh, a lot of times, you know, I taught myself to, to quilt, and I realized along the way, as I got deeper and deeper, there were steps I didn't know existed, so I didn't know to Google them. And so then obviously my quilt didn't turn out right, but it's because I just didn't know what I didn't know. And like, if you're in that stage, I'm here for you and I'm here to help. Now, today is not for you. If you can successfully make quilts and you have done so in the past. Um, and it's also not for you if you're looking for like applique or embroidery or free motion techniques. I would love to chat about all of those things with you. You could do that with me on my Facebook page at the Modern Quilter Circle. You can email me at nicole.gilbert at themodernquiltercircle.com. I would love to have those conversations. It's just not the conversation we're gonna have today. So I wanna make sure that you guys are in the right place so that we can get started. So now that you know that you're in the right place, let's dive into the framework. So our first stage, our first stage is the setup. And I want you to start by thinking like, what have you done well in your life? Anything that you've done well in your life, there's a system, there's a process. Um, and in order to do whatever it is that you're doing at a master level or a certain level of efficiency and accuracy, um, you need to start with a good foundation. Um, and the same goes with quilting. So that's why the proper setup is so, so important. When you have everything that you need exactly where you need it, the efficiency level, and honestly, your enjoyment will go through the roof. Um, while quilting is a lot of creative process, it's a lot of cutting and sewing and whatnot, it can be repetitive in certain stages. So if we're not doing everything very efficiently, um, you can get a little bit bogged down, which just nobody likes that. No one, no one wants their hobby to feel tedious. And that's why being efficient and being properly set up is so, so important. And one of the things that I suggest is having 
three stations set up while you're quilting. And that is an ironing station, a cutting station, and your sewing station. Um, and I am fortunate enough to have a quilt room in my home, but not everybody is. And for quite a long time, neither was I. Um, and even though I packed my sewing machine away in a closet and my cutting mat went under the mattress and you know everything got tucked away, when it's time to sit down to quilt, we pull all those things out. And so what those things look like, an ironing station, pretty straightforward. It's where you're gonna be pressing your pieces and your quilt top as you go. All you'll need is a handy dandy trusty iron and an ironing board. Uh, you can have just your full size regular iron. I'm sure you probably, most people already have an iron and an ironing board in their home. So that's not that big of an issue. Now, when it comes to cutting here, um, and let's see, let me tilt this just a little for you. Can you see better? Probably not. This is not a well tiltable. You can kind of see it down here in the corner. So down here, we have a cutting mat. This pink, big pink mat that you see is a 24 by 36 inch self-healing cutting mat. And then we have here a six inch by 24 inch acrylic ruler. And then we also have a rotary cutter. And the rotary cutter is a quilter's best friend. You will be able to cut through so many layers of fabric at once efficiently uh, that it's just, it's a real game changer. So that is what we will have at our cutting station. As you get a little bit fancier and you get a little bit more advanced in your techniques, you can take advantage of a lot of other <laughs> rulers because I do all sorts of craziness now. But if you have a six inch by 24 inch ruler, you can really do 99% of the things that you're gonna wanna do. So if you're only gonna get one ruler, that's the ruler to get. And then of course we have our sewing station. And so for me, it includes this guy right here. I'm currently sewing on a Janome M7 Continental. Um, I'm kind of obsessed with it and it is a new addition to my quilt room. I used to have a Foff Creative Vision, which I also loved, um, but this one is great because it has a nice big throat space. Now, before I had this, before I had my Foff Creative Vision, I had a brother and I actually still have it and I still use it, a very entry level brother project runway, like a five inch creative space, which if you're not familiar with what creative space is, it's the distance from your needle to the arm or motor of your sewing machine. So a little guy, and I did many, many, many quilts on it. As a matter of fact, later in this uh, class, I will be showing you some of the quilts that I made on that little guy. So by no means do you have to have an immense machine with a million features. And again, we're not gonna go directly into sewing machine stuff, but sewing machines are kind of like one of my dorky passions. So if you want to talk a little bit with me about sewing machines, I would love to chat with you. So you can always find me at nicole.gilbert at themodernquiltercircle.com. So we have our sewing machine. We also have, I like, I kind of do both, but a magnetic pin tray as well as a pin cushion, handy dandy tomato. Um, I also have glasses because I tend to have eye strain and um, 
I also lose track of time. When I set up my sewing machine, I end up there for a long time. So I do have my glasses there. Um, and then that's pretty much it besides thread snips and scissors, which are up on the wall behind me, uh, just to make snipping those stray threads easy peasy. So those are your three stations that you're going to want to have set up. And those are, I gave you some bare bones. I gave you the bare bones minimum of what you're going to need to actually quilt besides the fabric and thread. Um, and honestly, that is truly all that you will need. I'm going to also show you some quilts that I've made and that's, I've really tried because I want to always be able to see what quilting is making is like from some of my students' point of view. And I've had a lot of time to collect some really awesome gizmos and gadgets along the way, but a lot of my students haven't gotten there yet or they just don't have the need to do that. And that's awesome. So I have made quite a few quilts with just like the bare basics and I have just as enjoyable a time and um, you totally can too. So please don't feel like you have to make this huge investment into all of the things because I'm sure you see ads for all of the things on Facebook. You don't need all of the things. I promise you could do it pretty simply. So that's our stage one setup. Stage two, it's all about the fabric in stage two. And in what we do in stage two with our fabric is one, we're buying and choosing our fabric. We're preparing our fabric for the cutting and quilting process. And then we're actually cutting our fabric. So first let's start with buying our fabric and choosing the fabric that we wanna use. Now, first, we always want to use 100% cotton quilting fabric. So, um, and, and that kind of comes in a lot of different variations. Uh, a lot of times, it's, well, if you're in a quilt shop, 99% of the fabric in your quilt shop is going to be quilter's weight cotton. That is what the terminology that you'll see is, it's quilter's weight cotton. That's what you're looking for. Now, if you're in something like Hobby Lobby or Joanne Fabrics, or even some Michaels that do have fabric sessions, there are few and far between, but some do, um, you will see a big sign that says like quilting cotton on top or quilters or quilting. That's the fabric that you're looking for. It's a very tight weave, uh, very little stretch, um, and it's you will you will see a radical difference. Now you will hear, hear that some people use sheets, cut up old t-shirts. The I mean you can quilt anything truly. You really can. Um, sheets are great. I've used sheets for backings quite a few times. Sheets are great. Uh, t-shirts, totally doable. I've made t-shirt quilts before, but in order to do a t-shirt quilt well, you usually have to add a stabilizer onto the back because t-shirts tend to be a little bit too stretchy and wonky. And once you cut them, you want them to really hold their shape. So you might want to add a stabilizer if you're going to choose to use a t-shirt, but your 100% quilters we cotton will do you just fine. Um, another question that often pops up when talking about buying fabric is where you should buy fabric. There are some people that are diehards and will only buy quilt shop quality fabric. Others will venture into Hobby Lobby and Joann's and still others will also do like Walmarts for Walmart fabrics. And I personally don't believe that anyone is better than another. 
first of all, anything that gets my sewing machine humming is a good fabric as far as I'm concerned, but that's neither here nor there. What changes really is your preparation of the fabric because like anything, not all things are created equal. If you bought a $10 pair of jeans and then you bought a $50 pair of jeans and then you bought a $200 pair of jeans, you would expect there to be a little bit more quality, a little bit better cut, a little better fit on that $200 pair of jeans than on the $10 pair of jeans. And the same thing goes with quilting cotton. Um, and the reason for that is that the strand that the cotton is made out of, the longer it is, the more expensive it is, but it's also stronger. It also holds pigment better um, and it's also softer. So your more expensive quilt shop quality is made of threads and strands that are very long. And then the less expensive brands, your Joann's to Hobby Lobby down to Walmart are you shorter and shorter threads. And so you will end up with a different feel for the cotton. Um, so one is not necessarily better than another, but just keep that kind of stuff in mind. And we will get into preparing your fabrics in just a minute. So the next thing I want to talk about, and I'm going to start kind of pulling stuff up for you to see, um, is choosing the actual fabric. So once you find a pattern that you're just in love with and you want to choose your fabric, you're going to want to take into consideration color theory. And I'm sure you remember from like sophomore year drawing class, your art teacher bringing out that color wheel with all those beautiful shades and hues uh, surrounding it and talking about relationships of colors and how colors work together. You will use your color wheel, whether you do it um, consciously or not, you will naturally gravitate towards certain color schemes. Certain things will work better together. Um, and color theory is a huge, huge broad topic and one of my personal favorites. So um, we will chat a little bit more about that later on, but we wanna think, so these are complementary colors. Uh, we've got purple and yellow, they're complementary. Now I've also done complementary shades of yellow and purple, meaning that they're from the same shade family. They have the same about, so like these two, have the same amount of black added to it. And these tints of purple and yellow have the same amount of white added to it. And that's kind of where you start to get into your color theory. A lot of times you will go and you will fall in love with a quilt pattern. And I know I did this quite a bit at the, at the beginning of my quilt life before I really dove into color theory. I'd fall in love with a quilt pattern. I'd pick the fabrics that I wanted to use and the colors that I wanted to use. And I would do a really good job because I had gotten to the point where I had progressed and I was like, okay, I can, I can quilt. And then it just wouldn't, it would kind of fall flat. It wasn't bad because it was made properly and you know, all the piecing is done well, the quilting is done well. And yet it's still just not like a wow quilt. Like I expected it to be from how beautiful the pattern was. Um, and I realized a lot of that comes down to our color theory. And once I became a self-proclaimed master of color theory, my works have kind of gone through the roof on the level of awesomeness for lack of a better word. So color theory is super, super important. Now we're going to get into preparing your fabric. Now I mentioned this a little bit that, you know, your quilt shop fabric, your Hobby Lobby Joanne fabrics, or your 
Walmart fabric are all going to need to be prepared or handled a little bit differently to get them to the same finished results. So what can happen, just like with anything that's cotton, is shrinkage. And the shorter your individual threads are, meaning the less um, expensive or more inexpensive your fabric is, the more likely it is to shrink. And we want the shrinking to happen before we cut it and before we sew it. So, I mean, the cutting, it seems obvious. Obviously, we don't want to cut something, have it be five inches, and then it's been washed and now it's three and a half. Nobody wants that. doesn't make sense. But the real issue there is actually in the sewing process. Once you have sewn a seam, it lays across your fabric at a certain level. When it sh your fabric shrinks, the fabric shrinks, but the thread stays, the seam holds its shape. And so that means there's rumpling and there's ripples. And now your beautifully pressed seams have all gone to heck because they have shrunk on you, which, ugh, such a bummer. So we want to make sure that we pre-shrink our fabrics before the cutting and the sewing phase so we don't get into that issue. And also we wanna make sure that we treat all of our fabrics the same. So even if you know you have some higher end fabrics mixed with some uh, discount fabrics, we wanna wash them all so that they all react the same way because um, we want consistency. Consistency is king when it comes to quilting. Now, another thing that you're going to do when you prepare reason to wash is that if you have a really dark or bright or vibrant color, we don't want the colors to bleed. We've all seen that episode of Friends where Rachel does a nice thing and washes Monica's clothes and they all turn pink because she left a red sock in there. And that's kind of the same theory with our quilts. We don't want bright reds or vibrant purples and blues to leach down onto our whites and creams. And another thing that you can do to avoid that not only is pre-washing, but also to use a color catcher, which is very much like a dryer sheet, but it goes in the washing machine and it sucks up all the dye and your fabric stays nice and crisp and white. And that color catcher comes out all dye dyed. And you can use a bunch of different ones. You can, I mean, you go to Amazon and they're pretty inexpensive and you can use several at a time if you're like super paranoid. Um, and I've done that. I've been super paranoid. So there's the whole wash game. And then we're always going to iron. This is the only phase of quilting where I'm going to refer to ironing as ironing. For the remainder of the time, I refer to it as pressing and you'll see why in a bit. Um, but we're gonna iron our fabrics. And this is so that we can get really crisp, consistent cuts. The smallest wrinkle when it's ironed out later will put the size of your square slightly off. So we want to make sure that we iron that out. Also, we want to properly fold our fabrics. Now these, this is one method of folding, which I personally love. So I fold them selvage to selvage and then in half again, and then I roll them. And what it allows me to do is to cut across the width of the fabric, which width of the fabric or WOF refers to cutting from one selvage to the other. And if you're not familiar with what a selvage is, a selvage is that white band, most of the time it's white, 
the white band at either end of your fabric that gives you the manufacturer's name, the colors used and whatnot. Um, those are your selvages. And when you measure the distance from one selvage to the other, that's called your width of fabric. So the proper folding technique not only keeps it stored nice and neatly, I can see what colors I have on my cabinets, in my cabinets very quickly, but it also allows for very easy cutting. So it's like a win, 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 win. Some people also like to do that same method, but wrap it around a bolt or a comic book board. Um, that's another method. I like to kind of have mine stack because I like to, I like to play and fiddle and grab things out and see how they fit. And sometimes I'll just have them sitting next to me for a while to see how the colors grow on me. Um, I don't know if I've said this, I probably have like 47 times. I'm kind of a dork. So that is folding our fabric. And then it is time to rotary cut. And when we're rotary cutting, we're going to use our handy dandy rotary cutter. Um, you can use a 45 millimeter, a 60 millimeter. I use a 45 millimeter and it's pretty much the only size I use and I love it. Um, and then you will use your acrylic ruler. And when we're rotary cutting, we are always going to make sure that our rotary cutter stays at a nice and flush angle to our acrylic ruler. And we will of course only move in one direction. So that is how we're going to cut our pieces. Uh, you can do many layers depending on your rotary cutter blade. I usually never cut more than like four layers at a time because I write like real consistency. And the more layers you get, you do tend to start getting just a little bit of motion, just a little bit of movement, and we don't want that. So uh, that is that with your rotary cutting. Um, rotary cutting, I would love to dive really deep into that with you today, but it's going to be so specific depending on the quilt patterns that you're doing. Um, and it's going to change, you know, depending on if you're doing squares, rectangles, strip piecing, flying geese, half square triangles. I mean, the list goes on, hexes, the list goes on and on. So it will change quite a bit, but the basic method of using a rotary cutter will always be the same. So we have now chosen our fabric, we have prepared our fabric, and we have cut our fabric. And so now it's on to the next stage, which is piecing. And piecing is very specific to our quilt patterns, but there are some kind of hard and fast rules that we want to go over when we're piecing. So when we're piecing, we are always going to maintain a quarter inch seam allowance. Most of the quilt patterns that you will see will discuss the quarter inch seam allowance, it will say, you know, all measurements assume a quarter of inch seam allowance. Now a seam allowance is so, so, so important for many reasons. Um, and if you're not familiar with what a seam allowance is, it is the distance from your stitch to the raw edge of your fabric. And the reason why we wanna maintain a quarter of an inch, one is consistency. We want to have the same measurement on every seam that we do so that your final quilt comes out in the pattern and shape that it's supposed to. If you don't maintain a consistent seam allowance, it's going to, some places are gonna be shorter, some places are gonna be longer. And especially when you're doing things like star blocks, it'll get all uh, cattywampus and you won't want that. Now, another reason to maintain your seam allowance is for structure and stability. So I am going to show you some of my quilts. 
So this is something that is a work in progress. Um, I will show you like what the front is looking like in a bit, but you will see here that I have a very consistent seam allowance of a quarter of an inch in all of these pieces. And you'll notice that when I sew them, they actually start to overlap each other. And in the overlap, what happens is they create a foundation. It's like a house. And so as more of those quarter inches overlap and they hold in place, it keeps everything from shifting and it really solidifies your quilt. And the more seams you have um, meet like that, the better. Now, um, once you have a seam allowance, you want to press your seams. And remember before I said that was the last time I was gonna refer to it as ironing, now it's gonna be pressing. We don't ever want to do an ironing motion with our iron, meaning we don't wanna rub, we don't want to go end to end. We never want to do that because fabric, when it's heated up, will start to shift. It'll start to move. It will stretch. It will shrink a little depending on your real cotton content. Um, I apologize. I do have a little bit of allergies that are bugging me. Um, so we want to make sure that we are not doing any of those things. We are pressing, which means your iron is very hot and we just put it down and we let it sit for a minute. Not a full minute, but like I usually count to 10 or 15 seconds and then pick it up and down and up and down and up until we've created a nice crisp seam. Now, there are two methods of ironing your seams. You can either press your seam allowance to the dark side or you can press it open. Now, <clears throat> for many, many, many years, I only pressed to the dark side, meaning I would have my seam allowance lay flat behind the darker of the fabric. So this fabric, even though this seems very dark, this fabric here is like the darkest blue you've ever seen. And so I have my seam allowance pressed in this direction so that when you look at it from the front, you don't see the seam allowance through the fabric. Um, and then it also allows for consistency. Everything's to the dark side, all the seam allowances are going in the same direction. We end up with not so much bulk behind it. Now, another thing that you could do, and I will show you the front of that in a bit. Another thing that you can do when pressing is you can press your seams open. And so on this quilt, I have pressed my seams open. And I gotta say, I'm kind of obsessed with it right now. What I really like about pressing my seams open is that there's a lot less bulk behind each of my seams. So um, you will find when you're pressing everything to the dark side, there's gonna be some intersections of seams where you're gonna get like a buildup of fabric. that's gonna be really thick. And especially if you have a more entry level machine, your needle is going to be doing a little bit more work than it should be. Um, over those those areas. So like on this quilt, I have so many works and projects. I'm a quiltaholic. Um, I know like this guy, if you could feel it, it's like, it almost feels like there's a dime under here. It's real hard. And that's gonna be a bulky thing to get through. Um, this quilt, which has a ton more seams, you can see that it's much smaller pieces, has none of those hard spots, which I really, really like. Now, 
the thing with pressing your seams open, which I hesitated to do for a really long time, is that there's less strength and integrity in your seams than if you press to the dark side. Pressing to the dark side means that one of your fabrics is laying right across your seam. So it's like a nice, solid, flat back. When you press open, you end up with this. And so you see how you can stretch and nothing's covering where those two things meet? That means you can see your thread sometimes. And so if you're not a really skilled sewer or at least using a small enough uh, stitch, a short enough stitch, you can potentially get some gaping going on. Um, and I am a very cautious quilter. I like to make sure my stuff is going to come out amazing, especially because I spend so much time and effort on them. Um, and, but this is, this is a new thing for me and I like it. So probably going to keep doing it for a while. Um, <clears throat> and when we're also talking about piecing our tops, we need to talk about pinning. Now, this is one of my works in progress, like I said, and I'm actually with this one in the middle of pinning my rows together and piecing together the whole thing. So as you can see, it's a very bright, fun quilt. It is my COVID quilt. It is a lot of scraps from the various masks that I'm making. And this is the next row that is getting attached to the top. Now, when we're pinning, we want to make sure especially when we're doing something that has many seams, that we line up seam to seam. And usually what I do is I actually start my rows pinning in the middle. And then I make sure the center is really lined up and then I move over and I line up those, those seams and pin them and then I move over. And I do this over and over again. I pin directly into the seams so that that way when I sew it, my seams are lined up. And that is how you get these crisp shapes. Because the if you don't line up your seams, instead you line up like the whole row. You're like, okay, this is one end. This is the other end. Let's keep it nice and smooth and straight. What happens is, I mean, we all want to be perfect, but perfection is very, very rarely um achieved in quilting. And so if we line up our seams, we end up with much crisper, straighter lines. And so we want to line up our seams and pin them in the seams themselves. Now, I don't personally pin solid pieces of fabric that are like six inches or less because it's not really worth it. Um, you know, by the time it's going through your machine and it's time to pull out a pin, your hand's already there and it just, you're, you're there, you're holding it already. But anything with seams, definitely I pin. And anything longer than six inches I pin because I really want to make sure we're keeping really nice, good, straight seams. And okay, now we're going to talk about the actual basting and quilting. And when we're talking about basting and quilting, we also have to talk about our batting. So first let's talk, like this step is what takes us from a, like a sheet for lack of a better term to, to refer to your quilt top into an actual quilt. 
And there are three layers to your quilt sandwich. There's your quilt top, and then there's the batting, which you can call your fluff, your stuff, your guts, whatever you want to refer to it at. And then you have your backing. And your backing can be one solid piece. Uh, some people use a bed sheet. Um, I have done it before using a bed sheet. I typically use a 108 inch width of fabric fabric so that I don't have to have seams. Um, and then you could also just get standard fabric and you can piece together a design. You can use a panel. You can just have like three horizontal lines. I mean, the sky's the limit. You can do whatever you want. I love quilting. You can do whatever you want. Um, but that's your backing. Now, <clears throat> we have to discuss the batting in reference to the quilting, not only because it is the guts, but what you choose to do with your batting and what you choose to do with your quilting will determine what you get to do with your finished quilt. So I like to kind of reverse engineer my quilt. So I say, this is what I want. I want a girly, cuddly quilt that my niece can take with her to her college dorm. Okay, so now I then have to say, okay, it needs to be sleepable. So that means my quilt pattern, whatever type I make or choose, is going to be on the lighter, less dense side because the more quilting you do, the stiffer your quilt is. So we're going we're gonna to choose a method that's going to be looser. Okay, cool. She's going to sleep with it. She goes to college in Michigan. Okay, Michigan's on my brain. Thank you so much, Chelsea. <laughs> um, but we're like, okay, so we want it to be breathable. We want it to be comfortable. We want it to keep her warm without making her sweat. So maybe we go with a cotton or a wool fill. Okay, cool. And then from so on and so forth. But I really want you to think of it that way because um, if you don't do it that way, you can end up making decisions that end up with a beautiful quilt that's not actually comfortable or usable for your idea. So let's talk about the different types of batting. So you can get 100% cotton, you can get polyester, you can get wool, and then you can get a blend. Usually blends are like poly cotton blends. Occasionally you'll see poly wool blends um, and you'll also see cotton wool blends. And <clears throat> You want to also think, do people have allergies? Do I need to go with a synthetic blend over a natural fiber or vice versa? Um, and that will help you choose like polyester versus cotton wool. Um, but then we also want to think about like breathability. Your cotton and your wool is going to breathe way better than your polyester. Um, I usually use a cotton, but if I am making a quilt that is more for design purposes, meaning I'm making it to show off just how cool I am at my sewing machine, I then sometimes go with a polyester. And the reason I go with a polyester is polyesters tend to be of a higher loft, meaning they're a little bit thicker and not thick dense wise, they're like fluffier. So what happens when you quilt something um, with something that's got a higher loft is the places that are not quilted tend to puff up a little and then where is quilted gets dimpled and so it really accentuates your quilting like this 
So this is very heavily quilted. This is a very, very heavily quilted. It's super stiff. My youngest or my oldest son cuddles with it. And I have no idea why, because this doesn't feel very comfortable. Um, but I did it just to prove that I could do this kind of pattern, a really stiff meander free motion. Um, but you'll see it almost looks kind of puffy, like little bits of cotton ball, like kind of like little puffy popcorn. And this is heavily quilted. If it was slightly less quilted, the puff would be even bigger. <clears throat> It'd be even more visible. So we want to keep that in mind. Um, and then, okay, so that's batting. I don't want to get too ahead of myself. We've chosen our batting, cotton, poly, wool, depending on what we're doing. We have to baste our quilt sandwich together. Now, basting is keeping your quilt sandwich temporarily together, meaning when you're quilting and you're sending your fabric through the machine, we don't want our backing, batting, and quilt top to be loose and independent of one another because what can happen is they shift and then you get puckers you get wrinkles and then also you like run out of batting or backing or something on one of the edges because everything has gone kind of sideways on you. So we want to keep it together in some way. And there's several ways that you can do that. You can do that with basting spray. You can do that with a basting stitch and you can do that with basting pins. Um, depending on the side of the quilt, you might also choose to use two of those methods at once. Um, I still, I haven't seen someone use all three yet, but I'm sure there's somebody out there. Um, and so there's different pros and cons to, to everything, just like anything else. I personally prefer using a basting spray. Um, I feel that once you have applied the adhesive and you really smooth out your quilt top, you get such a taut, um, finish that when you quilt on it, it's a dream and it's beautiful negative of it is that it is temporary. So the more you handle your quilt as you're shoving it in and out of your, your creative space on your machine, it's going to slowly stop being sticky. So on a very large quilt, like if I'm doing a king size quilt, I'll still spray baste it, but then I'll put some basting pins in there as well, uh, just to make sure that I don't lose anything along the way. Now, basting pins People love basting pins. Uh, it's a great way. It's the most in inexpensive way because it's reusable, obviously. You buy the, the pins for like six bucks and then you can use them forever. Um, what I don't like about basting pins though um, is that they're like safety pins with like a curved edge. And so when you get to a basting pin or near one in your quilt and you're sewing, you have to stop and remove it. And um, I'm not really okay with that. And I tend to get a little bit like antsy. So then I'll remove like three and then like a third of the way down be like, oh my gosh, I wish I hadn't removed all those because you know, things do shift a little. So it's definitely not as good as like gluing them down with the basting spray. And then you can also do basting pins and then throw a basting stitch in. And a basting stitch is just a really long, loose stitch on your sewing machine um, that you could easily pick out once you're done. So you pin it, you throw the basting stitches in, you remove the pins, and then now you could quilt as you will, and then you remove your basting stitches. A lot of people use like red or another bright color so that it, they can easily differentiate the basting stitches 
from their quilting stitches. So that's basting in a nutshell. Um, and that's like a nutshell. I realized that we've already been here for 45 minutes. I've got so much to share with you guys. Um, and then we go on to quilting. And there is three basic methods of quilting with a lot of subsections. Um, and like I said, we wanna think about what our final usage is gonna be so that we can make sure we make either the most visually appealing quilts or the cuddliest quilt um, and make the decisions depending on what you're gonna choose to do. Now, the first type of quilting is your stitch in the ditch quilt. And that quilting means that you have sewn directly in the seam line. So let's see. So this is stitch by the ditch, which I'll talk to in a minute, but I'm just gonna use it to show you the what the ditch is. The ditch, is where this pink and white meet, that straight line right there, that's your ditch. And so you're going to sew right in it or just a hair's breadth off. And what I love about stitch in the ditch quilting is that it really accentuates the patchwork piecing of your quilts. So you can really show off, you know, how scrappy something is by outlining lining each individual triangle or every square uh, and what have you. So that, that really accentuates your patchworking. The next type is stitch by the ditch. And, and that one's my personal favorite. This right here is stitch by the ditch, um, which means it's the same method, real straight lines following your patchwork. But instead of going right into the seams, we have gone a quarter of an inch off on either side. And again, consistency. We're keeping that same quarter of an inch off of each of the seams. But what I like about Stitch by the Ditch, what it does is it accentuates the quilt pattern itself. So in this, we're not necessarily looking at how scrappy my rhombuses are, my diamonds are. We're looking at the fact that I made a rhombus in the first place out of the different fabrics. And so from you know a thousand yard view, this looks like a solid blue, this looks like a solid green. And then you get up close and you're like, oh, she went a little scrappy with it, cute. By the way, this is a quilt that we make together with my Modern Quilters Academy students. But um, I love Stitch by the Ditch. It's probably my favorite. And I also think it's the easiest of the methods to do. Um, you have a guide right there. You've already gotten really good at maintaining a quarter inch allowance because you're doing a quarter inch seam allowance on all your piecing. So you've kind of practiced that skill already. Um, Stitch in the ditch is great. Um, and yes, you do have that guide as well. But if you are not a bang on quilter or sewer, you can potentially get a little bit of a wave. And I can tell you from experience and many, many quilts made, that little bit of a, wet, of a, of a wave, you will be able to see it for the next 50 years. Only you'll be able to see it. Nobody else will notice, but you will notice. <laughs> So that's one of those things where like, technically it's easy, but if you are a perfectionist, like I am when it comes to my quilts, it'll drive you mad. Um, and then our last method of quilting is our free motion quilting. Now you can do all sorts of different types of free motion quilting. Now this is a meander. When you see people who do florals and orange peels and you know 
loops and teardrops, that's all free motion quilting. And free motion quilting gets its name because you know those little metal teeth on the plate, on your needle plate down here, that they come up and they help move your fabric? Those are called feed dogs and they actually will get dropped out of the way. So not every sewing machine can handle free motion quilting, but this day and age, most do. Um, just really, really basic machines don't. And you'll be able to lower your feed dogs either through a button on the front of your machine or back behind this, there will be a large lever um, that you can just flip. But you lower your feed dogs and as soon as your feed dogs are out of the way, you are in control. Your hands are in control. You are the one controlling the length of your stitch because how fast you move underneath your needle will determine the length of your stitch. You will determine the direction that your fabric goes in. Um, and you can pretty much, I mean, the sky's the limit. You can make anything. That being said, it can get really, really tricky. And it is not, I would say it's not for a beginner, but experimenting is always for a beginner. So I would, I mean, I, to this day, whenever I free motion quilts, I make a mini version. I make like one extra block with batting and backing. And I free motion that one before I get to the quilt so that I can really make sure that I've got the speed of the needle, the speed of my hands and the pattern I plan on following kind of down pat before I get to my quilt. Um, but it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. I love free motion quilting. Um, I tend to only free motion quilts on like really, really epic quilts that I plan on showing or giving to somebody extra super special. Um, Cause otherwise it takes, it takes a lot of time. A free motion quilt is not something that is quickly done if you are self quilting. Now, free motion quilting on a long arm is a totally different story. Um, and that is on my bucket list to master is getting a long arm machine and doing long arm quilting. Most people don't long arm quilt. It requires a very large machine. It requires a lot of machinery. Um, and it's just a totally different skill set. Totally, totally different skill set. But if you're ever bored, go on YouTube and YouTube long arm quilting it's their videos are so satisfying watching these women do these beautiful designs. So check that out. Now, once your quilt is quilted, it is time to get into the home stretch. We're going to trim our quilts. We're going to square our quilts and we're going to bind our quilts. Now trimming is pretty straightforward. So once we're basting, we always leave an overhang of batting and backing to make sure that we have enough as we quilt our quilt top. And then you just take a pair of scissors, cut that bad boy out and you're good to go. Now squaring, however, is another story. When we're squaring our quilts, we wanna make sure that we have a 90 degree angle in all four corners and a straight line between. And the reason why that's so important, this is one of those steps that divide the, um, the boys from men, <laughs> is that uh, when you have the ever so slight kind of wiggles on the edges of your quilt, once you bind it, you know when your husband has a really old shirt, then you wash it, and it gets like that bacon collar, 
that can happen on your quilts when you don't properly square your quilts. So please, please, please square your quilts. Some people like to do it with a T-square, like an architect's T-square. Um, I do it with my rotary cutter and my um, cutting mat. Um, but whatever you have to do to fold and position to be able to do it. It's not rocket science by any means. It's really straightforward. You want straight lines and 90 degree angles. It's just uh, sometimes, especially like when you're working on a king size quilt and you're like, well, my cutting mat is only a 24 by 36. It's going to take a lot of fidgeting and moving and back and forth. So it's a little bit more time consuming, but it is by no means difficult. And then lastly, we are going to do our binding. And let's see. You can either purchase bias tape or grain tape at the store, or you can make your own by cutting, you know, fabric strips to the appropriate width, such as this. It's a nice fabric strip that I've got laying around left over from the last time I made binding. Um, but let's talk about bias versus grain. So grain on the grain means that it runs parallel or perfectly perpendicular to your selvages. And what that means is that your thread goes this way or it goes this way. And when you cut so that your thread remains going horizontally and vertically, you have no stretch, no stretch, nice and top. This is grain tape. Now, if I had bias tape, I will just kind of pull it on the bias. If I bias tape, look at this. You've got a little bit of stretch. And bias means at a 45 degree angle. Did you see how I, I shifted it and was pulling it diagonally so that you could see where that stretch comes in? It's a 45 degree angle to your grain. And now you can use grain tape or you can use bias tape. Both work. I tend to like each one for different reasons. Some people only use grain, some people only use bias. I tend to flip-flop depending on what I'm doing. So the reason why I like grain tape is if I am doing a quilt where the pieces that land around my edges where I've just squared are, and so I just, I say grain or bias. So let's start with, with, with grain tape. The pieces around the edge are like triangles or hexes or something where it's cut on the bias and which means there's some stretch there. If I put grain tape on, it doesn't stretch. And so it like locks that in place so we don't get any loosey-goosiness later on and we don't get those bacon waves. Now, conversely, if I've got all squares around the edge, it doesn't really matter, I can use grain again, but I could also use bias and it'll give it a little bit more soft and flow to it. Now, you'll always wanna use bias if you've got curves, whether you've curved the corner or you're doing like, you know, a circular hot pad or, or what have you, you'll always use bias on a curve because it just lays better. It will flatten easier. It will just look a lot, a lot better if we do that on the bias. And once we have decided on our bias tape, you can, or grain tape, you can either cut it yourself, which usually your binding is um, like visually speaking, like a half an inch, which means you cut your tape at two inches. 
um, and you fold it in half and then fold it in half again and you attach it around the edges of your quilt. Uh, or you can purchase bias tape already made and you can buy it at a store. I typically don't like to purchase my bias tape, not for quality reasons, but just because I like my quilts to be super, super custom. And so like with this guy, I used one of the fabrics that are in the quilt for the binding, which means that it matches perfectly. And I just like that. Those are the little things that make a big difference. But there you folks have it. That is the five-step Modern Quilters Flame Work. It's a lot. And I wish I could have gone even more, but I've already taken your time for an hour. So once you've done all that, you've got like your bonus little section of, you know, you wash it, you iron it, you gift it. Because if you're like me and you make something beautiful, you want to gift it. Um, but you're done. Your quilt is done. So that's awesome. And when you break it down into stages like that and decisions like that, it's a lot easier to get to the finish line. Um, and I know that was so much information and I wish I could have dived even deeper with you guys. My first draft of this webinar was like three hours long and I still hadn't hit everything that I wanted to, um, which is why I created the Modern Quilters Academy. And so the Modern Quilters Academy is comprehensive quilting lessons for beginner quilters. And um, it is a course for doers. So what the course is, it's six modules. Each module has an average of five lessons, some a little bit more, some a little bit less, um, that are a mix of videos and PDF support documents. Um, but it's not just about like lectures and sitting there and learning. Like I'm giving you a quilt pattern you're watching me work on this quilt throughout the process. You can work on this quilt side by side with me throughout the process, and we can do this together, which is something that my past students have found like invaluable. Now, um, as you can see, you get this beautifully done um, online learning module. And it's super easy to navigate. It holds your space. You get all the lessons for a lifetime. You can do it on your own pace. Um, and it's right in your personal members area. So I love it because it's like a no brainer. Like you just, okay, I'm going to do a little bit of the Academy today. You sit down, you watch the videos, you implement, you sit down, you watch a video and you do, but everything goes together. That was my biggest issue when I was Googling and YouTubing is I would find the different videos and the different lessons everywhere, but they didn't necessarily go together because one method works best with another method, but I didn't know that they went well together. And so with this, each method and each module flows into the next one for a consistent quilting process, which I think is a much easier way to digest the information. And so we start with our jumpstart module. I show you how to choose the right pattern, how to read a quilt pattern, your basic quilting terminology, a comprehensive list of all your supplies and where to buy them with like links and everything like no brainer. Um, I, and there's also a bonus where I created a quilt pattern. Um, it is the sassy pants quilt, which is this guy right here, which I just absolutely love. It's 
a amazing size to start with because it's big enough to give you the idea of how things work, but small enough that you could actually manage doing it and master some of the skills before you try going bigger. Because sometimes bigger adds its own set of issues that will keep you from really mastering the individual techniques. Um, so this is the quilt that we work on together. Um, and I have seen so many beautiful versions of this from my students with their own takes and spins on the different colorways that they choose and how they wanna lay out their quilt. It's pretty cool. But next we'll go into setup. We'll go over the cutting station, the sewing station, the ironing station. I also include a DIY tutorial of a chair side ironing board that I made for um, myself that's super easy. It costs like $10 to do, but it makes it so that I don't have to get up, walk away from my sewing machine, iron at the ironing board, come back, sit down. I can just kind of pivot, press, and get back on my way. So I have included that DIY as well. Um, then we move on to fabric. We go way deeper into color theory. We go into preparing your fabric properly, um, how to rotary cut, and all of your fabric terminology. I know I threw a lot at you with bias and grain and selvage and you know whatnot, but we, we go into all the steak and potatoes of that in our fabric module. And then from the fabric module, we go into piecing. I go over all the basics of pinning. And you, you've got a bird's eye camera view of my hands doing all of the motions exactly how I do them. I also teach you how to make a half square triangle and how to make flying geese. And I can tell you right now that even some of the most complex quilts that I make sometimes are made of nothing but half square triangles and flying geese. If you master those two skills, you can master 90% of the quilts that you have fallen in love with on Pinterest, I promise. And then we also go over pressing while we piece. After that, we go into our basting and quilting and we go over all the different battings, exactly what each batting is for and why you'll love it or why you might not. We'll go over how to baste with pins, how to baste with spray how to choose the best quilt design for what you're doing, as well as step-by-step -step tutorials on how to stitch in the ditch and how to stitch by the ditch. And so then the last thing, and we're wrapping it up, we're going into squaring and binding our quilts. So you will see uh, how to trim your quilt, how to square it up, how to make your own bias tape and grain tape, and how to bind your quilt using mitered corners. Mitered corners can be the death of some people and they just want mitered corners so bad. And in case you're wondering what a mitered corner is, let's grab you one right here. It is this corner with a perfect 45 degree angle turn in it. And it can be a beast to do, um, but I have created a little method that is so easy. And so I call them magic mitered corners, but I teach it to you guys in the academy when you enroll. So there's some bonuses because I just, my thing with quilting is that I love it so much. And I think it's a little bit of the military spouse in me where I'm always looking to like bloom where I'm planted and to create a community and to create this like 
you know, just like a sistership, for lack of a better term, together. And so I don't want to just teach you guys this stuff and then disappear. I want to help you guys along the way. And so I was trying to think of the best ways that I could do that. So first, I want to start with those of you that are a little bit hesitant because you don't have a sewing machine or you have one that you've inherited or you have an entry level one you're just you're just not very comfortable or familiar with your machine so i created a mini course that is sewing machine 101 we go over the anatomy of your machine how to thread your machine how to wind a bobbin how to sew a straight line that's in sewing machine 101 so that kind of stuff you can get that right out of your mind because i'm going to teach you how to use your machine then we also have a Facebook community with live Q&A. So I'm in the Facebook community. I'm in the Facebook community answering questions every day. You have a lot of access to me. But I also, every week for eight weeks, because that's typically how long it takes for people to get through the academy, not because it actually takes that long to consume it, but it does you know, when you're, when you're stealing moments here and there and, you, and you've got another life and you're, you're doing your hobby, you know, you might buy your fabric one week, you might cut it up the next. So it can take a little while. So eight weeks is what I do live Q and A's. So we will get together every Wednesday live. And if you can't make it, that's fine. They're recorded. You have access to the videos and I answer your questions. And when I say I answer your questions, the day before I have you submit those questions and I read every single one, I answer every single question that's submitted. So you are never left like out in the wind, never. I'm there helping you every step of the way. So even if you can't get there live, I'll still answer your question. You'll just watch it in the replay. Not a big deal at all. What I have loved in the Facebook community is watching my students interact with each other. I love seeing them like, oh my gosh, my fabric just came in. I loved it. Like our last, our last uh, cohort that just went through, they were my um, pandemic, my pandemic academy students. And so they were ordering all of their fabric online because they couldn't get into quilt shops. And so then like, you know, the mailman would come and they'd be like, oh my gosh, the mailman came. And we all talked about their fabrics and where they should put things. And, you know, when they were doing their layouts, we were talking to each other about like what you would move, what wouldn't you move and helping each other in that way. Um, which is just so nice to see, um, just women talking to women and every everybody in there having the same um, the same goals, the same kind of hobby, and it, it's just nice. Um, and I loved that so much that I also added in um, an alumni so along. So once you have graduated, like go you, you've graduated, you've completed a quilt. Now we do alumni sew-alongs. So there's an alumni group and you always have access to the Facebook community. I just do the eight week courses, the eight week Q&A, but then I take a little bit of a breather and then the next group of students come in and I do eight weeks again. And you can participate in those eight weeks of Q&A as well. So it's really great because hearing other people's questions, sometimes you don't know that that's a question you had or should have had. And then you go back and you're like, oh, okay, cool. Now, with the alumni sew along, I pick patterns and I do about four a year. So like every three months or so, um, I pick a new quilt pattern. And that's kind of what these are sitting here for because I'm, I'm thinking up 
what I want to do with my next alumni class. Um, but I pick a quilt pattern that has you practice every skill that you learned in the Modern Quilters Academy. Plus I add another one or two or three new skills for you to learn. And we do it in a community fashion. Again, we are talking, we're sharing. Um, and what's really cool about it is that you're still growing. You're learning a new skill. You know, now, yes, you learned how to do flying geese and half square triangles. Well, my next group of students are learning how to do quarter square triangles and how to make star blocks. Okay, cool. Now I know how to do this. Now I'm going to learn how to add applique to it. And we're going to do that throughout the year. And that's constantly going on. We do a new one every quarter. You can participate or not. Whenever you have the time, you can do it. You have access to the quilt patterns forever. And um, it's just a really cool thing to get together and do. And then we also have the color theory workshop. And I do, do go over color theory in the fabric module. However, the color theory workshop is a workshop class similar to this. Um, but, and let me go back so you can see my face. The color theory workshop is similar to this class um, in like duration and, but we are talking about just that one topic. And I dive super deep and I'm pulling different examples and showing you different apps that you can use and talking about pattern saturation, color saturation, shades and tints and hues and how different color schemes work together, how to analyze a quilt pattern that's already made and transition that into quilt colors that you want to use on your project. Um, we dive into all of that. And um, that by far was my most recent cohort's favorite part of the lessons because we were, we were all in there, we're all chatting and they're like, oh, that's why. So um, it's just really, it's really cool.